This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. Two, one. And we are back. Another week. Six and oh. But before we get into everything, it's, um, it's time, it's pertinent that I address the elephant in the room. <laughs> I fucked up, guys. <laughs> so I just want to say that you are the biggest son of a bitch. I did what, hear what some- you did to me today. What you did to an entire fan base today, I I'm gonna let you get into your mea culpa now, but you are a motherfucker. Well, that's the first time I've sworn on this podcast, which is astonishing because I'm a swear. I've I've heard some rumors. I got messages about these rumors, so I went out. I did some research. I did find the Bud Light 12-pack for $9. I brought it home, and they were only six ounces. I bought a six-pack for $9, say, guys. That is my error. I apologize to all Bud Light fans out there. I will do better next week. We are on to Pittsburgh. So, yes, Bud Light, really upset right now. But um, it happens. So, Virginia Tech. I've never been more angry to start a game than I was with that entrance. I know, Dylan, you're a Metallica fan, and that's fine, and Dandy and all that. But it looked like a high school. They walked a quarter mile, leisurely strolled through a local park to run out of a a tunnel for a whole bunch of white people singing an old 80s song in unison. 91. Whatever. I could do the same thing in Newport. Like, there's no difference between a bunch of white people singing Metallica or a bunch of white people singing Neil Diamond. It's the same shit. And I, I, I think I'm overrated. That's it. I think I'm going to fall smack dab in the center between both you and Dylan today. Um, I think that the entrance is electric. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of, you know, the Enter Sandman. Hokey entrance is part of college football lore at this point, and some of the I've never entrances... heard about it before this week. I may be uncultured. Never... <laughs> I guess so, but I mean it's it's uh, it's iconic, and you know I've can't tell you how many times I've watched clips of that on YouTube when I'm bored at work because I'm just a college football fanatic. But at the same time, this is actually. The first time I've ever seen them in the locker room, I didn't know it was basically three miles away, like you had pointed out, and that makes it weak as shit. So I'm, um, I'm, on, the, I'm on the middle of the fence here. It was titty that ticky tack high school bullshit. Yeah, I, I kind I'll of, say. I kind of agree with Steve. Actually, the walkout was kind of lame, um, but it's an electric um, entrance. But here's my issue: was See, I'm still hurt. I'm a little torn as a person because before the game started, Metallica did a video for Virginia Tech supporting them, and I, I, it hurts me inside because they're from Southern Cal or from near Southern Cal, so it was bad enough already. But then they go and support Virginia Tech, and 
I don't know, man. I've seen them twice live. I just, I just don't know if I can go anymore. I don't know if I can cheer for Notre Dame. I don't know the rule. I'm torn inside. Well, they probably got paid a boatload of royalties every time that Metallica songs plays at Virginia Tech. So they got money for whatever. Uh, but we're on the entrance. Overrated. Moving on, the game. First half gave me a huge scare. We were <coughs> missing the ball. Steve almost fell out of his chair thinking about the first half. And wow. It did not look like it was the team of the last two weeks. And I was I was nervous. It was going to be the same old Virginia Tech. And then the Irish came out in the second half. They knew who they were. They played with authority. And really, they showed up. So I had a lot more fun in the second half than I did the first. And uh, overall, I think it was a solid team win. Uh, it's nice to score more than 28 points in a game. Uh, the higher the number goes, the happier I get, it looks like. Uh, but that's where I'm at. Guys? Um, yeah, uh, I agree with you. Uh, we were winning by one and a half, so I think we were overreacting as a fan base like usual. Um, but, yeah, I get what you mean. We weren't dominating early on, so it was a little scary. Um, I think the overall yards, they outgained us. Um, we gave up a lot of yards, but, look, it was a blowout. Simple as that. I mean, we had that 97-yard run, and we did not look back from there. Um, Got to give Kelly credit, man. He's been coaching these kids up, going into games at halftime, uh, you know, turning it around. Play calling's been good. Um, overall, great performance. And, look, we're we're a playoff team. That's what I said. And you can book our spot right now. Steve? Yeah, so – um, I'm going to, I'm going to lean a little bit more towards, towards Dylan here. So, I mean, our first two drives were excellent. Obviously we, uh, we started, what was it? 10, three in the first two drives. Yeah. Um, you know, Ian book in the first quarter, eight of 11 for 114 yards and, you know, no touchdowns because Dex, uh, Dexter had, had punched that in from what a yard or two out. Uh, for the touchdown in the first quarter, but you know, uh, Ian started started hot. Uh, was able to find Chris Fink on one of the deep balls. Although as the game progressed, he um, he didn't look great throwing the deep ball. He I think more than anything it was adrenaline because he overshot some receivers. Plus there there was a little a little bit of contact downfield, or or maybe there was some sort of miscommunications on a few of them. Um, so I'm not going to write off book as a you know, just a short, you know, dink and dunk guy. I still think he can stretch the field. Just want to obviously see some more consistency, but that's just kind of going off for uh, on a tangent for a little bit. And just to interrupt you real quick before you yeah. get into your point, the first drive when he was throwing those uh, uh, predetermined routes, the the real quick ones, and and being efficient. To to be honest with you, he looked like a certain other number twelve in the league right now as a game manager. We all know Tom Brady's assistant quarterback, but I felt like we were watching a well-oiled offensive machine just running down the field, and it reminded me kind of of, of a Brady. Yeah, and between Fink being so shifty uh, on the inside of the field, and then you have those two monsters on the outside of the field, uh, on the outside of the numbers, you got to think if you have some timing routes and and he can get the ball there with uh, good arm strength, which he has, um, you know, there's a lot 
of extra yards after catch to be had, and I think that makes our offense a potential hashtag wagon. So that's obviously exciting, uh, you know, just to build upon what you were saying. But to get to my main point of of just the resilience of this team, and I know in, uh, early on, and Patty, you had brought this up, uh, I believe in episode one, about how in the offseason um, or, you know, the preseason during August camp, uh, Brian Kelly was instituting the idea of chaos, you know, this throwing soccer balls at people and, you know, there was lights and crowd noise and everything at practice, basically saying, control the situation. Uh, don't get, don't get out of yourself. And, and, you know, just, you know, over in, in August camp, Kelly was instituting the idea of controlling chaos, controlling the situation, staying focused on the play in front of you and, and uh, just making it from one play to the next, not overthinking. You got to, there's a, there was a sequence of events that, that came down and it wasn't all one right after the other, but it all flowed into one another of Notre Dame controlling the chaos where we saw these situations get away from us last year in Stanford and last year at Miami on the road. So in particular, people's breaks off, People's the the running back from Virginia Tech. He breaks off a 41 yard run um, when they were down 10 to three. All right, Julian Love, despite being blocked basically the entire way downfield with a guy basically hanging on top of him, is able to get a shoelace tackle at the one yard line. The ne- next two plays are stuffed running attempts on first and second and goal from the one yard line. And then uh, there was a miscommunication, which basically led to a sack uh, on third down. So we hold them to a field goal. So now it's only 10 to six. The next, so we punt our next possession. The next Virginia Tech possession is when uh, Jewel Love picks up, scoop and score, uh, makes it 17 9. Yep. You know, Virginia Tech does respond before the half, makes it 17 16. Virginia Tech gets the ball back to start the second half. They get two first downs, then the next uh, ensuing set of downs, you know, um, stuffed run, stuffed run, incompletion punt. So now it's 17-16. Notre Dame gets the ball back. Um, They score on the – that was the Dexter Williams, what, 97-yard run? Yeah, the the punter pinned him pretty deep, and then we made him pay. Yep. And then Virginia uh, Tech gets the ball back again. Another turnover on downs. And that's when Ian Book uh, scroll, uh, rolls to his left, throws across his body, finds Miles Boykin, 40 yards, 31-16, Notre Dame. At that point, you can put it in the books. So, you know, that, that 41-yard run, if it was 42 yards, it's a tie game and that entire, the everything looks different. Julian Love breaking through that tackle, you know, giving them an extra chance at the goal line. That's the shit that adds up. And that's what makes this, you know, we say that this was a 2012 team. Well, think about the 2012, uh, you know, goal line stand in overtime against Stanford. And, and, and basically we had another goal line stand here. So it just feels like there's something a little bit more magical uh, about this Irish team this season. And, and uh, we're controlling the chaos as what 
Brian Kelly's plan was. So that's what felt really good about the end of the first half uh, going into the second half where I wasn't panicking because of that kind of sequence of events. And yeah, um, and Dylan, I would love to hear your input on this, but when you think about 2012 and you look at the defense uh, in particular, you look at Monte Teo. He was the face of the defense. This team may have Tranquil, Coney, Tillery, Love, Gilman, just to name a few. But they're not just that one guy with 10 supporting characters around them. There are 11 lead actors who are all working together. Dylan, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think, you know, 2012, but just a lot better blowing teams out. We didn't see that at all in 2012 with the exception of the Miami game. Um, Notre Dame's really good. And you look at that defense. I don't know which one's better, but when I started thinking about it the other day, um, we've got the best pass rushing defense in the country right now, rated by, I believe, PFF and others um, at how much we're pressuring the quarterback. Um, Tillery's leading there. He's a top five defensive lineman. Um, we have, I believe, either the best or the second best ranked linebacking core in the country right now between Tranquil and, and Coney. I mean, just on paper, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And Amar Bilal. Yeah, and Bilal, of course. Um, if he counts as a linebacker, he's a quasi-linebacker, quasi-safety <laughs> or whatever. And then our secondary is really good. Um, you know, we give up a lot of passing yards, but Julian Love is a top five corner in the country. Um, Troy Pry Jr. has been fantastic this year. He's really settling into his own. We've all talked about how great Gilman is over the top. And then Elliot has murdered three people this season. So uh, <laughs> this this team's good. This defense is really good. Um, yeah, no, I'm, re- I'm really impressed with what I saw. We blew out Virginia Tech in Virginia Tech. That's the difference between this this year's team and 2012's team, where we're struggling to beat Pitt and uh, some other teams like who else did we struggle with that year? Um, Wake Forest, maybe, or was that <laughs> at the end? Um, Stanford, but that was a close game. But point being, we struggled a lot 2012. Um, Boston College and Purdue; those are the two teams I was thinking of. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, this is really good performance from what I saw all around. Um, and, and look, we're dangerous. Everybody knows we're dangerous. And I tweeted something like, look at the narrative of how things have changed from the first week to the two second and third week where it was, we're great to we're terrible. And then we beat Stanford, beat Virginia tech. And the narrative is Notre Dame is already in the playoffs. And that's just not kind of us being fans, but I, I've heard national people say that, right? I think Herb street was saying this team's pretty much in. Even Colin Coward said it. Yeah, he's the worst. It's very interesting, yeah. and I think we almost uh, can skip over the four horsemen because we, we kind of touched on them already. Uh, definitely, you know, we have Dexter Williams again. Juice over that decision. We'll, we'll, we'll keep it in. But before we get to that, the real point is the Notre Dame fans are the most – wildly outrageous human beings in the world. There, there's no other fan base who is so hot and cold and, and there's so much in the last time there was this much infighting among Catholics, there was a schism and that was in 1054. Like I, 
everything that happened, and we'll address the rumors, the the things that happened with a certain uh, certain quarterback or another player. Uh, things happened. Rumors were sent out. There were some viable sources that a certain journalist had, who he sent out, and they had this friggin' witch hunt for him, calling him a illegitimate journalist. Blah 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 blah. The first rule of journalism is to have at least two sources. I know for a fact that this guy who we're talking about had at least two sources. And Notre Dame, whenever something doesn't go their way, they attack so viciously. And I know we're part of the same mob mentality because we're all on Twitter during the game. It's just wild. I I don't know. It's it's just one of those things. It's just such a wild thing. When rumors start, when people we're just a rabid fan base. It, I, I don't get it, but I love it, but I don't get it. I, I think that's a symptom of, of a few things of one, the magnitude of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. the sheer size of it Two, the actual like success that this football program represents. We like to think of ourselves as the top of college football. And I think just the lack of success has just combined to create a very hostile um, and it's good and bad because we get rowdy. We're we're involved. Uh, we care a lot, but we're also insane as a fan base. And you understand that because this look, this reaches people all over the country and across borders. Um, it, it's a big fan base. It's like no, none other. So you're getting a lot of different people with different opinions, and things get feisty. And it's not just that we've had a lack of success. I mean, we've obviously had some really good teams over the years. It's just how we find ways to lose, which is so maddening. The Michigan State play where they, you know, what was that? The little Giants fake field goal. We don't the, talk about that, Steve. We spoke about that before. I mean, Nevada, Northwestern. USF. USF. Uh, I'm sure we've probably dropped a game to Syracuse. Like the fact we can we can't beat Boston College like effectively. It's just it's just goes on and on and on with all these losses that are just so devastating. So that's what drives the insanity more uh, is oh, either we get blown out by a really really good team. Or we lose a team that has no business, and it's just one heartbreak after the next, and and that's what, I mean, for me, that's what drives me down the pit of insanity. Well, that's what I, I kind of said that to you guys earlier off camera. Um, I displayed that own mentality is with the rumors with what happened about a certain player not being eligible. Um, it just triggers us because it's like, oh, here we go. We found a way to shoot ourselves in the foot again. We just found a way. Nothing. We can't have anything nice. So I get why the fan base reacted the way it did um, because, frankly, we have something special going on this year. And if those rumors were true, um, I think we would have all drank some bleach. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, rumors are just that. Rumors, some are substantiated, some are unsubstantiated. Uh, luckily, this one turned out to be a little unsubstantiated. And we'll let the facts draw, uh, drop where they do. Uh, in the next few days, see what Kelly has to say, as he is still the head coach of the program, full faith in Kelly, full faith in Swarbrick. Uh, But, you know, moving forward, uh, really the four horsemen of the week, I do have to give one to Brian Kelly. He's my fourth horseman of the week solely because of his chaos theory. 
he got the team ready. They're ready for anything. And the best part is the end of the game. In the locker room, they played Enter Sandman, and they danced on Enter Sandman's grave. There's that. Uh, just real quick, hmm. my other three, just a little, that was a little fun, fun fact there. Ian Book uh, definitely has that big arm. If he can tune up his arm a little bit more, get some touch on some of those balls, it's a 70-point game. He even took after the game, he said it should have been 70. Uh, they should have put up 70 on them. Uh, but it was his fault that they didn't. So that was interesting. Uh, number two, Julian Love. Our love is better than yours. Bryce Love was out last week because he's the most overrated player in college, college football. And Dexter Williams, he is a grown man running humans over. So there are my four. Yeah. Um, I kind of will echo that. Um, my fourth star uh, I went with Khalid Kareem. Oh, um, yeah. I thought he had a really big game, especially when you consider that uh, Hayes didn't make the trip out. And then uh, was it Okwara that got targeting? Yeah, a little. It was a, a 50-50 call, to be honest with you. Right, but so the point is, is that our defensive line was pretty thin going into that game, um, and he held his own on the edge. Uh, so he already had a lot to do to begin with, and then he put out a really good performance. So – Five tackles, um, a few solo ones in there. Uh, he had one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for a loss, one plat pass deflection, and one quarterback hurry. He was getting all over the place. He was making stops uh, in the backfield. He was stopping the quarterback. Uh, it was just an all-around good performance from him. Um, number three, I went with Miles Boykin, who's made this list for me a couple weeks in a row now. Um, eight receptions. 117 yards, that's 14.6 per reception, and he got two touchdowns. I mean, Book is really starting to find him, and he's a threat. Um, I don't know if he's eligible for another year. I don't think he is, but, geez, imagine if he could stay. He's not. Oh, uh, no, I actually did this research during the game. I was talking to uh, to Brad, uh, our wide receiver guru, and he could come back for a fifth year. Uh, he did a he redshirted his freshman year, so – uh, there is a outside possibility. I told Brad to have a meeting with him, uh, jokingly, to tell him that he was going to be a third. He says he's like a third day type of guy, uh, just because his size is there, but his mobility really isn't. So he only has that that limited skill set, uh, kind of an insider scoop there. Um, follow the Draft Network on Twitter. Uh, but really, with that, if he can come back for another year and move his mobility around, you're looking like a Calvin Johnson type of individual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was big. He's all over the place. He's got really good hands. Um, Book has really done a lot for him. Um, so, yeah, Boykin, number three for me. Number two, um, I went with Julian Love, who's my favorite defensive player probably. I think he might be Steve's as well. Um, oh, yeah. Seven tackles, five solo tackles, one pass deflection, one fumble recovery, four a touchdown, and one interception. Um, wow, he was all over the place. Uh, just a fantastic player. I mean, I love watching him play, pun somewhat intended. Um, he, he's just really good, and I hope he stays another year. I know he's allowed to. Um, I don't know if he will because he could be a first or second round talent. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, great performance from him. Uh, and number one, I got to go with Dexter Williams. I mean, he turned the game up on its head with the 97 yard touchdown, which was beautiful. Uh, he just kind of waited patiently for the for the gap to open. Um, but the stats back it up. He had 17 carries for 178 yards. That's 10 and a half per carry. And yes, 
that is somewhat skewed by a 97-yard touchdown. But well, you he, had, he had a 39-yard one as well, right? Or 30. Yeah, 30. no. He, even if you take, I did the math out today. If you took out his 97-yard touchdown, he was still averaging, I think, like five, six yards a carry. Right. right. Which is pretty good, and also the testament to our offensive line to take the loss of um, bars and still be able to kind of push people aside. And Dex had three touchdowns. So uh, that's that's my first horseman of the game. Um, yeah, Steve, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't even need to speak stats just because you guys, obviously, everyone knows the stats. Um, just going in order, number four, Ian Book. Um, the only stat I'll point out with him, 72%. So even though he th- did throw a, an interception, which you could say it's a bad pick, you could say it's kind of a, it was just a quick read and and you know it was trying trying to make it a timing route and just didn't see the lane neither here nor there. Again, seventy two percent for for passing, which means we're completing passes and obviously we know we have tons of talent to move the ball down the field after we catch it. Uh, number three, Miles Boykin. Holy crap! Is he uh, really emerging now that he has you know uh, you know I would say great quarterback play, and that's not a shot at at Brandon Wimbush. I still love Brandon Wimbush. Um, just you gotta sometimes run a team like a business, and unfortunately, forty nine percent wasn't cutting it. Um, Khaled Kareem, we know his stats. Monster day just an absolute force of destruction off the edge. And then number my number one actually was Julian love. I love love. Uh, <laughs> and, and for me, I think with the most impressive, you know, the most impressive thing, as I mentioned before was uh, fighting through the block to make the tackle at the one yard line um, setting the, you know, so that way they could get the, uh, the goal line stand. And then next possession, he's, he's running back, uh, uh, you know, a forced fumble from Khaled Kareem for a touchdown. So the, he was balling out. What a game by, by the guys. Uh, the only thing, you know, as much as we had great, I want to point out one bad thing, Tony Jones, two rushes for negative one yards. I don't think that's indicative of Tony Jones not being talented. We know he's talented and he actually had really good games against really good defenses like Stanford and uh, Michigan to name a few ever heard of them. I think that was more indicative on at times the offensive line went so hot to cold uh, and wasn't able to push open the game. And then we became more reliant on Dexter Williams. And I told you guys, um, you know, when once Dexter came back, I'd love to see Dexter get 15 to 20 touches a game, but I don't think it's uh, going to be indicative of a totally dominant performance unless we're also getting in both, uh, you know, our, our other running backs. Uh, at least between seven to 10 touches a game each between Jafar when he gets back from injury and Tony Jones. So, now, yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. The one thing that you noticed that the difference between Tony Jones jr. And Armstrong and Williams is how Jones runs the buck sweep. That was the play that went for 97 yards. It's designed to be a vertical route or vertical run rather mm-hmm. than bouncing to the outside. If you oh, yeah. Walk, he, he took four steps left and then, boom, one cut. Yeah, his yeah that's what the play is designed to do. Uh, the I can't tell you how many times I've repped that in practice. And with that, you do want to stretch the defense, but 
and then hit go vertical. Jones's vision right now is more limited from what I can see to if the first hole is in there, he doesn't have the patience enough to wait. He just cuts it outside, which is why he did have those negative yards there. Uh, so really it's just a learning, learning experience there to be more patient. Yeah. Wait, wait. And that's fine. And if, if we run him on a, you know, an, a, a tackle, uh, you know, an, an off tackle, uh, you know, stretch or some dive plays and perfectly happy with that. Again, I think we got the meat up front that can move bodies. Uh, I wouldn't just, even run him on a zone, to be honest with you, just based yeah. off of his reading. Since the zone's more predicated on turning the field and going A, B, C, mm-hmm. um, he's just got, he wants to bounce outside, which is a natural inclination for all running backs to do. But if you can go A, B, C, or even backside A to cut it back, you can do – there is a possibility to do that. You just have to be patient. And I think Armstrong and Williams' patience shows a little bit more than his. And same with uh, Flemister. They're, they just need to learn to be a little bit more patient. Every day. Yeah. Is- yeah. Can, can I just say that how good is our running attack going to be when everybody's healthy? Um, not even just the run game. Just think about what it opens up for the pass game to have both uh, – or to all, Williams, Armstrong, and Jones. I mean, they're all three very good running backs that bring their own thing that defenses have to game plan for. You have to scheme for those guys. And just think of how many play action passes or RPOs that – brings as well right i mean you could do so many cool packages with uh guys and running in motion flips anything um trick plays it's just adds another dynamic to our team that i'm really interested in and i can ask you guys one question do you guys know if dex is eligible to come back next year as well no i checked that out this is last year on campus he played four years um two things and we won't we'll get into chalk talk uh, a little bit later, but you can run. There's a package you can run if you go slots, slot right or slot left, and you run an F back or an H back, whatever you want to call it, um, and then a uh, running back in the backfield. From that formation, you can run the shovel pass. You can run an RPO into a shovel pass. There's just so many different things you can do. Is what Auburn does on their spread wing and their spread wing T offense. And if you can get Book, uh, Armstrong, Flumster, Jones, whoever into these formations, you can even run double slot, motion one into an H-back, and then run plays off of that. There's just so much you can do. And then defenses have to scheme for any type of run out of any formation and also the pass. And then you can go trips into a H-back on the same side or opposite side. We called it Stanford and uh, Oregon for same side or opposite side. And there's just so many different things that you can do out of that formation that if Kelly just sits down a little to Melzahn's offense over the last five years, <laughs> it's going to be a fun time or uh, not Kelly now, but yeah. So that's that. I could geek out about uh, plays and formations all day, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to talk about Notre Dame's uh, season. Uh, and I know normally we talked about the next week opponent. We'll get to that, but I just wanted to highlight the top 10 real quick and uh, get your thoughts. All right, top 10. We know Notre Dame has pit this week. Uh, any thoughts on Minnesota, Ohio State? Ohio State is at three. Is that game in Columbus? It will be in Columbus. Uh, okay, I'm not liking the chances then. I mean, Minnesota is a pretty good team. Uh, is, is P.J. Fleck the... No, uh, he, he left. He's over at um. Don't help me out here. I thought he was. Right. 
I well, I, I know they have a relatively new head coach and, and they're trying to rebuild everything and, and they're actually doing a pretty decent job with getting some talent in there and developing it. I think they're a couple of years away potentially of, of uh, starting to actually break through to being one of the uh, somewhat contenders in that league. But yeah, I'm not feeling confident that they're going to win in Columbus. Yeah, I agree. But I have something important to say about Minnesota. Um, did you know, depending on the way you count titles, um, and I have a whole elaborate way of doing it, which is the best, and we should talk about that sometime. <laughs> Minnesota has more national championships than fucking Michigan. Think about that. We don't think of Minnesota as a blue blood program, but in the 30s and I think in the 50s as well, Minnesota had won a bunch of titles in a row. And really, they have a more legitimate claim to history than Michigan does. I mean, not, of course, in wins and and all Americans and that stuff, but we don't talk about Minnesota. Why do we talk about Michigan as a blue blood? I mean, they're just as legitimate as each other. It's all about branding. Do you also count Wisconsin's titles in with Minnesota because of reciprocity? <laughs> don't know. It's an insurance joke. Yeah, no, it's all good. Minnesota kids can go to University of Wisconsin for the same in-state tuition as if they were going to the University of Minnesota. Oh, that's very nice. I mean, those are two meaningless states to me, but that's okay. All right. Uh, now, up next, Penn State, Michigan State. Uh, they're playing at Happy Valley. I don't like it for anyone. I mean, Michigan State is garbage. We were really hoping and counting on them to ruin the Big Ten for everyone and win the, the probably the conference because that's the team I hate the least. Um, but they lost again to – Northwestern, which is making me a little nervous about that Northwestern game. But I don't think they're good. But you could beat a good team on any day, right? So um, if that's in um, Penn State, yeah. um, hopefully it's not in the locker room. But, oh, uh, oh. Well, we're getting thrown off the uh, clean list this week, I guess. That means <laughs> you have to be a dedicated fan. Um, oh. We're human with morals. But – Either way, I hate Penn State, so I don't give a shit. All right, uh, West Virginia, Iowa State. I West Virginia just staying around long enough to be annoying. That's all I got on them. Uh, uh, Iowa State did beat Oklahoma last year. I would I wouldn't count out Iowa State. I think they could win that game. Only a six and a half point favorite for West Virginia. Uh, Mizzou, Alabama, again. Play uh, let's hope that Drew Locke has the game of his life that actually proves that uh, you know he could be a true NFL talent, and let's just hope for a freaking miracle. But obviously, we know it's going to happen. I agree. Washington, Washington, Oregon, uh, Washington coming at seven this week. Plus seven? Uh, no, seventh in the nation. They're minus three. Yeah. Um, Irrelevant. Yeah, the Pac-12 is already out of it. Um, and this is the funny thing is Notre Dame kind of controls the Pac-12 every that's year. That's hmm. the, the way it goes, though, like if you beat Stanford and USC, that's it. You've won, you've taken their spot away from the playoff. So, I mean, unless Washington – Washington needs Notre Dame to lose. Like it's so intertwined, the Pac-12 and Notre Dame. Um, yeah, I guess. I, Who cares? I think that's true if there is – if there's an undefeated Big 12 team, then the Big 12 team will get in ahead of the, any Pac-12 champion. But I think a, uh, a one-loss Pac-12 champion would be in, by and large, by, uh, ahead of a Big 12 champion. 
I don't know about that. I think twelve one loss. It, de- it depends on the team, I suppose, right? Yeah, yeah really that's getting into the nitty gritty, which we don't necessarily need to do. Obviously, it's all hypothetical. And then we have Baylor playing Texas. Hook them. They're back, 14.5-point favorites. Uh, UCF playing Memphis. UCF is just staying around again long enough to be annoying. You mean and UCF? What was that? UCF, like Central That's Florida? CF, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, defending mm-hmm. national champions. Yeah, allegedly. And then finally, the uh, highlight game of the week, Georgia-LSU. Uh, I think this is safe to say I did a really quick look at this. We are Tiger fans for the rest of the season. Go Tiger. I don't know about that. I, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been pro-cannibalization of the SEC. But right. let's just assume Notre Dame goes undefeated. Uh, we'll say Clemson goes undefeated. Ohio State goes undefeated. Um, you want an undefeated SEC team. Or even if, even if some of those teams have one losses. Because if Alabama loses um, a game – but LSU beats Georgia, let's say. So let's say Georgia beats Alabama in the title game. But LSU beats Georgia. We get a, a real sticky situation there. Because for me, I want Bama out of the playoff. Do you know what I mean? Um, oh, I- yeah, absolutely. That's why the best thing that could happen is that this week is irrelevant. But either um, LSU or Auburn is able to take out Bama in the regular season. And then in the championship game, uh, Georgia is able to, to overcome Alabama. So that way, Alabama, two losses, no way they get in. So now, just just throwing this out there, looking at this, best case scenario for the SEC, because we're halfway through the season, Alabama loses one regular season game, still makes the playoff, the SEC championship game, and loses that. Or do we have them – Does I, I'm all for cannibalization just because that would just lead credence to the fact that the SEC does have more of an overrated type of schedule. So really, what's to say that LSU, who already has one loss, beats Georgia, then then somehow – does LSU have to play Bama in the regular season as well? Yeah, they yep. do. So we need, do we need LSU more to beat Georgia or more to beat Bama? Well, it depends. Who do you prefer, Georgia or Bama, right? Like, I don't mind Georgia in the playoff as long as I don't get Bama. <laughs> So I I would say as long as they beat Alabama, but if the goal is to get everybody with two losses, um, Georgia doesn't. Georgia plays Florida, and then the championship game. Right. Alabama plays Auburn, and then the championship game. and the championship game. So really, they have to beat each other. So I don't think it really matters. Who do you think could beat who more? Florida beating LSC or sorry, Florida beating Georgia or do you think Auburn could beat Alabama? I think Auburn could beat Alabama. Right. Uh, so they- I think that one's a better chance of happening uh, just because of we know what happens there. It really depends on if Georgia's playing at home or at the Swamp. Yeah, that's a good question. I could look that up. So there, There's a whole bunch of variables. I get it. So we'll see. And then, you know, from there, um, Notre Dame has Pitt. So I have some points that I would like to make about uh, the University of Pittsburgh and that game. Uh, but I wanted to see what you two had uh, before I make my points. Steve, I know you're trying to get out of here. You've got to get back to uh, doing your finance stuff. Yeah, what thoughts about Pittsburgh? I mean, 
cool 70s team. Shitty football team in the NFL. <laughs> That's a ricochet, ricochet shot. Real ricochet um, shot there. But uh, any any prediction, last final thoughts about Notre Dame playing uh, Pitt? Um, Alizé Max, six catches for 60 yards. Would like to see him start to get more involved, especially in the vertical game. Um, and want to see Tony Jones get at least seven carries because, again, that if he gets seven carries at least, that means that we are controlling the line of scrimmage and we don't have to have Ian Book toss this the rock around 35 times. So ideal scenario is 25 Book passes, 20 Dexter carries, you know, and 10 Tony carries. And let's just let's just cruise to victory. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like we're above getting upset, though. Is this is this in Pittsburgh or in South Bend? South Bend. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm trust me. This is very possible that we get beat. So, um, I've I've seen this happen. I've gone down this path before. But whatever. Just take care of business at this point, and let's uh, let's put all the the rumors. Let's put all the the bad juju. Let's just let's just. Throw it all away. Throw it in the garbage. Just move on. Just play the game. Control the line of scrimmage and win the game. There's no reason why we shouldn't. And that's that's all. That's all I have to say about that. All right, Forrest. Uh, go Irish, and uh, we'll catch you here next week. Good night, guys. Night. All right, Dylan. What do you got? You got stats for me. You got numbers. Let's uh, let's break do. down this game. I want to before we get into that. I he just triggered something into my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have only three true road games this year, two neutrals and seven homes. Um, I had a discussion with a ND account that's pretty famous about the um, Shamrock series mm-hmm. and why it takes away a home game and why it's terrible and why go to New York when you can have an extra home game. But here's the thing. Is that the, uh, the one I'm thinking of, the OFD? Uh, no, no, different person. Okay. Um, but – Here's the thing. If you already had seven home games, you're actually the, – the the Shamrock series is helping you out this year because instead of going to Syracuse, you're playing a neutral site game. Right. 7-3-2 and two instead of 7-4-1. and one. Uh, Anyway, that was just something that popped into my head um, because we've been no, on the topic, just, right? Just to go off of that, you look at the away games, and I, I do like that point that you made. Wake Forest, I'm really a home field there. Vatek, obviously, they had some home field. Navy is going to be played in San Diego. That's a neutral site there. Um, and I think Joe's going to that game. And then you have Northwestern USC. So really the two biggest home field advantages were Vatek and USC, possibly Northwestern if they go uh, decide to make the game at 12 p.m., which I wouldn't really mind. I'd come around to that idea. But at the same time, that's where you see. I do like the Syracuse game being at Yankee Stadium, but even if it was an away game, if you played that at Syracuse, okay. I'm starting to think I'm wrong, though. Maybe I miscounted. Do we have four road games and then two neutrals? So looking at it, we have one, two, three, four, five, six home games. Okay, so my whole – my whole point's irrelevant then because it did take away a home game for us. Um, yeah, the, the Syracuse game took away a home game. But, right. you know, the Shamrock series, I'll be there. Uh, 
and it's one of those things where I went to Notre Dame uh, Rutgers pinstripe bowl that doesn't count anymore with Kyle Brinza kicking five field goals. Uh, that again, doesn't count anymore because of the allegations uh, that happened back then. But you're going to reference that every week. Eh? Kyle Brinza. Kyle Brinza. Pinstripe bowl in the snow. It was me and Mrs. Wagon's first Christmas present. I bought her also bought her a scarf that had the Notre Dame fight song on it. It was dope. She doesn't wear it. Um, <laughs> anyway, she's going to hate me when she hears this, but um, it's probably too late in the podcast anyway. Uh, with that, Notre Dame travels well. There's going to be so many Notre Dame fans there. There may be some Syracuse fans, but the, there are Notre Dame fans that just went to colder, colder school. So I'm not too worried about having them playing Yankee Stadium. I, like, I think Yankee Stadium is a pretty cool venue for football. This will be my third time there, and it's just an awesome, awesome venue in that regard. Yeah, and okay, this is going to hurt me to say it, but as people should know by now, I'm a really big Red Sox fan. But Notre Dame is the New York Yankees of college football. Yeah, um, it hurts me to say that, but it's absolutely true. I mean, the brand's the biggest. Uh, nobody's had the success Notre Dame has had, and if you're an opposing fan at me at Twitter on that, and I'll explain it to you. I have a whole methodology breaking it down. It's not close. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's good to go to New York and good to play at Yankee Stadium. They play Rudy there. I mean, there's a connection Notre Dame has. I mean, to be fair, they have one with Boston too, right? They have one with Fenway Park, um, an Irish connection. But the New York Yankees and Notre Dame are pretty uh, similar, similar um, you know, kind of brands, iconic brands. So that'll be a fun game for you to go to. Um, I, it was funny because I believe one year we were playing either Pitt or Syracuse. And this is just so funny. You know how teams get really built up to play Notre Dame? Uh-huh. Um, in the pregame hype, you know, ABC, ESPN really bought into this too. And they were like looking at the combined honors. It was like 13 national champions, uh, eight Heisman winners, you know, 82 consensus All-Americans or 102 consensus All-Americans. Meanwhile, like 11 of those titles were Notre Dame and one or two were Syracuse. And then, you know, seven Heisman to one. You know, they were like, look how combined these two historic programs are. And uh, I always thought that was funny. So anytime I think of Syracuse or Pitt, it was one of the two. Um, I, I kind of think of that. But um, to get into the actual game, right, to get into Pitt, um, they're three and three. Um, I've highlighted two games of theirs to kind of keep an eye on. Um, they beat Syracuse in overtime, which I think ruined one of your bets, um, P-Wagon. You had Syracuse to cover four. Yeah, no, I uh, that was not it. Uh, I'm in a, a pool every week from this guy. Uh, he used to do a shirt company before Barstool really made it big. Uh, no free ads. Sponsor us if you want it. Uh, but it's a T-shirt pool, and you have to pick like five games a week, and that was one of my games, and – Syracuse lost, so I was just upset more so than anything uh, because if they were covering, they were going to win anyway. But let me tell you, I I started off hot. I was number one in the poll, and now I'm 29th. So rough. things are not looking up for me right now. It's rough. Yeah, but that was that was a big win for them um, because we all thought Syracuse was good, but turns out they're not. Um, and then they lost. Uh, pump, pump the brakes there a little bit. Syracuse is a good team. All right, well, we'll see, I mean, when we play them. Okay. Um, another game I highlighted was a loss to Penn State, and I realized I, the reason I highlighted that is because that could be a kind of a benchmarker game because that's 
Penn State's roughly the same quality of Notre Dame. I don't think they're as good. I think we would slaughter them in a game. Um, but it's a big program. It's a top 15 school. And that's an important one because it was 51 to 6. So I'm not saying that's what we have to win by. Um, but there's kind of the framework for the pit right there. Um, so I, I dove into the stats a little bit. Um, thanks, ESPN, for not being the NCAA because their website is terrible. Um, but I did figure everything out. So um, I looked at efficiency stats first to kind of give you a little comparison. Um, and it's hard. you got to take into account every offensive stat I give you about Notre Dame is shaded by the fact that Brandon Wimbush was leading the offense for three games. So it is naturally worse than it should be. Um, but that being said, efficiency scores has Notre Dame 13th in the country, Pitt 68th. Our offensive efficiency is 30th. Again, much higher if we would just be having book. So as the season go on, you'll see that increase. And Pitt 67th. So big difference in the offenses. Uh, we have the 16th best efficiency on defense in the country. They're 76th. And special teams, uh, which don't really matter too much, but we're 53rd in the country and they're 95th. So just on efficiency stats alone, um, there's a big gap between these two schools. But the 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 actual stats I want to highlight, because those are more aggregated, um, is kind of comparing the defenses and comparing the offense. So passing yards allowed, um, Notre Dame is actually slightly worse than Pitt, um, probably because we played some good teams. Uh, and there's been a lot of garbage time in there, but we're 72nd in the country. Uh, they're 63rd. They give up 224. We give up 229. So close. Um, that's per game. Um, our rush defense, however, is much better. Um, we're 40th in the country. We only give up 127.8 yards per game, 3.41 per carry. Um, and Pitt, and this is really important here, is they're 105th in the country. Really bad run defense. 196.8, they give up a game. Uh, and 4.84 a carry, and that's really important because when we get at, to the offense, when we look at the rush offense, um, Notre Dame's averaging about 4.46 a game against much better defenses than Pitt. So keep that in mind there. Um, 47th rush offense for us, uh, 39th for them, actually. They're, uh, they're getting a little bit more rushing yards per game. Um, and then passing yards, Notre Dame is 59th in the country, Pitt's 118th. Um, we're outblowing them there, 246 a game for us, 149 for them. Um, so I know that's a lot of numbers I just kind of threw at you, but the important things to take away is that Pitt has a terrible run defense, um, and our rush offense is getting only better and better, um, and then our pass offense is getting better and better, and their pass uh, defense is uh, not too bad, but I think you're going to see it get exposed. Um, and the one last thing I'd like to highlight is turnover margin. Notre Dame, plus five, tied for 18th in the country. Pitt, minus one, tied for 76th. So... Those were a lot of numbers, and I, I know I was trying to put my head around all of them. It sounds like a classic Notre Dame matchup off of a game where they blew out a team, chaos. There's going to be some uh, some distractions this week with the bye week right around the corner. Go 7-0 into the bye week, and you only have five games left. A lot of stuff could happen, and that makes this game dangerous. I know Pitt is Pitt, but it is a dangerous game. Uh, I just really hope that the boys come ready to play. Um, your numbers predicate that Notre Dame will uh, win, luckily. And I think this also, the game could go two ways. It could be a one-score game going into the fourth quarter, and then we blow wide open. Or we could blow wide open on the first snap of the game, 
and then we get the freshman in for their second game. You see Sebo Flumster. You see some Wimbush action in the third quarter, and then even a uh, an appearance of our our friend Phil in the fourth quarter. I think that could happen as well. There, there's just a lot of ways to go about it. The biggest thing is Aquara got uh, taken out in the first half, uh, so he doesn't have to miss any time in this pick game. That'll be huge. Uh, and then you're really going to – it's going to be a tale of two cities. It's either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde showing up, and I don't know which one we want. I want them to blow them out, obviously, but I don't know what we're going to get, and that is me being completely objective uh, in regards to this type of game. Yeah, and I think even if you put stats aside, Notre Dame has a very hard time playing Pitt, at least in recent memory. Um, Notre Dame and Pitt have played, I think, over 60 times. I mean, we've dominated the series like we do most teams, but this is kind of a rivalry game for them. Um, it's one that I think Notre Dame kind of has but is not too important. Like, you know, you don't think of the Pitt rivalry, but we've played each other plenty of times. Um, and I kind of like Pitt. Uh, they antagonize Penn State, so there's nothing wrong there. Um, but played just to interrupt you 70 times. Notre Dame holds the series 47 to 21 with one tie. Uh, the largest margin of victory for Notre Dame was 58 nothing in 1944. Uh, yeah, that that's where I got there. I'm sure it's 48 wins, but they're not counting one because of the bullshit sanctions, which don't exist. Which also took away Kyle Brinza's five field goal game in the pinstripe bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Because Notre Dame is the most winningest program in college football history, win percentage number one, but the losses would actually knock us down to about fifth. But as it stands, without those sanctions, we are number one. But Pitt plays, plays us good, right? 2012 was a miracle game. Mm -hmm. I remember watching it, and I swear Newt Rockney's ghost and Joe Montana's brain power pushed that field goal just far outside the post. Um, because Golson had fumbled it on the goal line, and it was just a crazy game. Um, Pitt plays this good. That was at Notre Dame, too. So let's not overlook Pitt just because we're at home, although I do think this is a different Notre Dame team uh, in the way it's structured, in the way the offense works. I think we are more explosive. I think we're more comfortable blowing out teams. This is two years in a row now we've started blowing out teams. But we've also lost to Pitt 2013, I believe, right, with Aaron Dar uh, Donald. Yes. Um, turned out to be a pretty good player, I hear. Um, although that was just because Stefan Tuitt got a targeting call, I believe. I think that was the first year it was installed, too. So credit to my memory, but also that was a bad call. Um, and for not being targeted, that you can remember that. That's a little little joke there about brain health. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not too worried about this game, but Pitt's Pitt. Got to respect them. They have beautiful home unis when they're wearing that royal blue and gold. Um, kind of looks like ours, but not as good. Uh, uh, any last points, stats, anything you want to get out for this game? Um, no, I kind of laid those numbers on thick. Um, the point is to take away from those numbers in case you just didn't listen too well, which I don't blame you. Um, I listened to all of them. So oh, I, not, you. not you. You're too smart, but I meant our other listeners. You hear that, guys? I'm too smart. Um, it, it, it's going to favor Notre Dame pretty much is the summary there. Um, I have a question is who was closest to the score prediction last game? Because you and I were pretty close again with the Virginia tech game. Um, I don't remember what I said. 
Okay, that's fine. Um, because you and I kind of have this two weeks in a row now going back and forth with close predictions. Um, right. Are we ready? I'm, I'm ready. Uh, really nothing else to say, but uh, I'm saying for this game, and Ian, you better prove me right here. 49-25 Notre Dame, 24.1. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty good. I mean, Book's definitely going to be playing, so I like the Irish to win 48-13. to We're going to score 42. So what's that? That's um, six touchdowns and two field goals. Okay. Um, I think this is a game we might see our Lord and Savior, Phil Jerkovich, play. Um, and hopefully he puts up some points. Uh, I think this should be a blowout. We'll see. Um, but the Irish were good. The Irish before, were good. Before we end, congratulations, Justin Yoon, on becoming the all-time uh, point scorer in Notre Dame history. Happy belated birthday. Uh, keep on kicking them straight, and we'll see you in the NFL one day. But uh, Dylan, that's all I got tonight. Uh, go Irish, be Panthers. Go Irish.